This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to say that I am joined on Football CFB by Sam Matterface, one of the lead commentators in the UK, works a lot with talk sport, very experienced and if you're not a fan of football I'm sure you'll recognise his his tones from Dancing on Ice. First of all Sam, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Not bad at all and I just again want to thank you for doing this. It's a a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for having me on. And football is returning, the English Premier League will return very soon. As a commentator, how excited are you about the return of football? Yeah, very excited. I think logistically we're starting to now think about how we're going to plot our course from place to place. But yeah, very excited about it coming back. I've been cooped up in this studio in my basement for 13 weeks, I think. So I'm desperate to get back out. I mean, I've loved doing the shows that I've been doing with Stuart Pearce and Perry Groves. Uh, We've had a really good time doing that. And uh, the podcast that I do with Alex Crook, the Game Day podcast, which... uh, goes out every week for talk sport but um with the, it, it's it's now got to that point where i um i want to be on the road or want to be like everybody i want to be seeing other people no no disrespect to my close family but you know you want to get out and have some human interaction we're not going to be able to have much but you know we will be able to at least speak to a football manager and maybe the odd other journalist here and there as long as we keep our social distance so you know i'm looking forward to it and it's exciting because it's, it's going to be like a festival of football, isn't it, really? Well, you think about the Spanish league coming back, the German league is already underway, the Premier League is about to start, the championship is coming back. Then we'll probably have a mini European uh, Champions League and Europa League tournament season where it's sort of three or four weeks of non-stop knockout competition before uh, we get to the end of August and have the finals of those big grand competitions as well. So, I think um, it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be an intense three months, but it's going to be a fantastic three months, and I can't, I cannot wait for it. Absolutely. Um, in terms of lockdown, you mentioned the fact you've been cooped in in your studio for a long time, but you've kept us entertained on Talksport and also with the lockdown quiz as well. What was the thinking behind that? Oh, right. Well, the quiz was just literally. I, uh, I was, I was doing a quiz for my mates. My mates were really really hit hard I think by the the first few days of lockdown I I'd sort of and I don't want to be a smart ass but I'd, I'd sort of seen it coming in a weird way um I, I I'm a bit of a news junkie so I'd kept tabs on what was happening so I had an idea that something big was happening I could never have imagined it was anything like this by the way but I thought that you know events might be cancelled I thought that could be could be possible that was in the back of my mind I remember the day that the the tickets for the um the champions, no, the Europa League final were, were announced. Um, and I'd said to my mates, ah, that won't happen. And because I just, I don't know, I, I just had a feeling that, I, that something was bubbling under. But again, not trying to be a smart ass. So I was a bit prepared, not prepared for it, but I sort of had it in the back of my mind. I didn't expect the Euros to be cancelled, I must admit. I thought they would make every effort to make sure that that was the case, that was going to, you know, go ahead. But obviously, in the end, it was much worse than any of us ever imagined and couldn't imagine that we were going to be locked down in our houses for as long as we were. So 
the, 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 your, your question was, where did it come from? I wanted to entertain my mates. I wanted my mates to have a bit of fun. So there's about 10 or 11 of us, and we played on a Thursday night. And I'd written the quiz, and I thought, well, I could use this on Twitter, and maybe one or two people might also find it entertaining. It might occupy them as well, because some people were sitting in their houses on their own, and they haven't got anybody to talk to. Some people live on their own. And at the beginning of lockdown, we were a little bit scared about what, what the future held. I didn't have that much social contact with other people. So that was the plan. I thought, you know, there'll be people out there that need a little bit of entertainment. Let's try and give them some sort of sense of community, and let's do it. So I did it the first night, and 100,000 people played. And I must admit, as soon as the numbers started to tick over, I started to have panic attack because <laughs> I didn't realise that many people would be playing. So I did sort of worry about it a little bit. And, you know, we had a few, you know, we got through it. We got through the first one. And then, and then TalkSport said, look, you know, we saw this on Twitter. Any chance you could do it for us? I said, yeah, no problem. We sort of came to uh, agreement to do it on, a, on, on their Twitter page. And again, we had loads of people playing over the course of uh, 11 weeks in the end. So it was great. But it got to the point where we'd done it 11 times. And ultimately, I, I would start, it was starting to take up a lot of time. And there was, I think, a feeling that with the, the easing coming and people being able to do other things, that people would have better things to do than hang out with me on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, it definitely kept, kept me entertained. And, and it was something that was, I definitely appreciated. Another reason I wanted you on the show is because I really enjoyed the podcast that you had on Football Commentary. And football commentators, I particularly enjoyed okay. the interviews with the likes of John Murray because I'm quite interested in commentary and, and, and football journalism. And I really liked getting that insight into different writers, different commentators and their approaches. Is that a show that you particularly enjoyed doing as well, considering your own background? Uh, yeah, I, uh, it was, I think it's quite a niche market. I don't think it's, it's a mainstream everybody wants to listen to it podcast it's actually been really popular and i and um, i do get the odd uh, tweet saying when you're going to bring it back when you're going to bring it back but it's difficult it was difficult it was a labor of love it was me uh, alex crook and um, michelle owen who did it for nothing together uh, and we worked hard on it and we did very well to get as many good guests as we did and people were very generous with their time um and we spoke to some great people to, about their careers which was great um uh, and, and it was really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I, I really regret, one thing I really regret is we stopped and we would just, we'd already agreed, I'd already agreed to do Laura Woods, to have Laura Woods as the, the start of the next season. But then TalkSport asked me to do the game day uh, podcast. Uh, I started doing that for the first half of the year. Crookie joined, Michelle had a baby and it, we, we couldn't really we couldn't really, we didn't have the time in the calendar to get it all done. And me and Crook were doing the podcast anyway together then. For, it's a slightly different show. Anyway, it, the Geeks podcast was great fun. It was a brilliant learning experience. I learned so much. I built a studio for it. So it, it, it helped in, a, in that way. But um, yeah, I, I do miss it. I miss the relationship with the guys because I love Alex and I love, I love Michelle. So, you know, it was, uh, I, I miss talking to them every week. I still obviously crook every week. So that's, that, that sort of helps. In terms of working with Crook and working on, on talk sport and other projects as well, just how much enjoyment do you get out of just talking about football? Because from your commentaries and from your lockdown quiz and other things, it's very clear to me as a listener, how passionate you are about the game. I just love the game. I love football. I love watching football. I love reading about football. I love talking about football. I love, analyzing football 
I love uh, books on football. I like um, I, I like being at football. I like talking to football people. Um, it's it's to me, it's my life. It's what I do. I don't do anything else. I'm I, I like other sports. I watch other sports. Um, I don't. Some commentators will commentate on other sports. I. I think I was going to say I don't. That's not strictly true, um, but it, it's it's. I, I don't really do other sports apart from um, from from football at the moment because I don't have the time to do it. So I dedicate most, almost ninety percent of my time is dedicated to football, and I I enjoy it. In terms of commentating on football, I've spoken to several commentators on CFB, and what really interests me is everyone's preparation is completely different. What's your mm. preparation like, and and how would you prepare for? For a game, I, I think it's um, I think it's personal to the individual. I think you prepare for what I have always worked on the basis that the more I do, the better I feel about going to a game and being able to talk about it. Um, I think that you can over prepare, and you can get your tie yourself in knots by trying to get all that stuff in, which I wouldn't advocate. I'd rather write it all out and leave it all on the page and use none of it, then try desperately to get through everything that I've written down. It's something that Andy Gray was very big on when I was working with him. You know, don't, you know, it's great that you know it, but you don't need to tell us all everything. You don't need to pass that, all that information on. It's only where it is relevant and editorializing and, and having that sort of news judgment, I think is really important. But um, I think it's just something that um, evolves over time. I, I change the way I prep probably twice a year so I'll, I'll prep for and I'll prep for different events in a different way so um, if I'm doing a tournament I'll start my preparation in January and start working towards that June tournament because I'll have a game every day so I won't have time when I'm at the tournament to do the extensive level of prep for each match I'll have to have half of it done before I go there so I'll have to do some deep dive research between January and June. And then when I get there, just be topping it up over the course of the tournament. Um, and a similar sort of approach has been the way I've, uh, I've, I've gone into the new or the resumption of the Premier League season. And that is that I know that I've got, I think in the first 11 days, I've got eight games or seven games or something. And I'm not going to have the time to travel to all of those matches and to pre prepare for each one of them, especially seeing as we're going to have to make sure we drive, there's no public transport, there's no sort of staying over. So I'm going to spend a lot of time in the car. So a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that I've done is just make sure that I've prepared for all of the teams that I'm covering in that period. So I'm ready to go next week, and yeah, hopefully uh, I'll, I'll have enough information. But you know, I, I always, I always panic about how much I've got written down and how much I've got, and you know, how much I've read, listened to, but ultimately. You live and breathe it every day. I mean, it, it's difficult not to, not 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 to. Listen, you can't know everything, but you you do. You, I just do my best to try and know as much as I possibly can because I think the knowledge that there'd be one day something will happen, you'll get caught out, and you don't want that to happen. So you know, I think it's important to do as much prep as possible. The the importance of the preparation is very clear, as you've said there. Um, it's interesting, as I say, how everyone does it differently. But I suppose you, you think about studying for an exam. Um, lots of people. That's what do it that. is. It's an exam. It's a it's a revision. You you spend your week doing the revision. And on Saturday, you have to do a test, and you Absolutely. have to try and pass that test. Absolutely. And as you say, everyone's got a different style, which which makes it incredibly unique. And 
another thing that's important with commentary as well as the preparation is the chemistry between you and your co-commentator. How do yeah. you work at developing that? I've been really lucky. Very, very, very lucky. My first full-time co-commentator was Mickey Quinn uh, down in Portsmouth in 2001 where we worked together every week then that hadn't I, until that point I hadn't had that sort of job where I was doing the same thing every week so that was my first sort of partner and he was fantastic and we just hit it off straight away we got on um second guy I worked with was a guy called Alan McLaughlin who again we, we sort of knew each other so we, we got on okay fine he was good on the air good at analyzing the game when I came to talk sport after a stint, a stint at Sky I went um I worked with Stan and I must admit, I was a little bit concerned um, about working with Stan because I didn't know Stan and uh, he, I knew that he was really loud and I thought, oh no, uh, this is going to be difficult. But uh, do you know it was, he was actually a, a great to work with. I learned a lot of off of him and he, I think he learned a little bit off me. Um, I, I'm not being arrogant saying that but I think we we learn off each other we work together we actually because and I, I say that because we try to improve each other over time so um you know we would six years together I'm not saying that we didn't have a few little uh, bits and pieces but because when you work with someone that closely every day um then you do but six years I would say out of the the six years I work with him and I can only talk about me working with him on a day-to-day -day basis I we had a great time and then I, I worked with Andy Gray. And that, again, I can only tell you what happened when I worked with him. And when I worked with him, he was excellent with me. Um, I, work, I got lucky to work worked with Clark Carlisle, Andy Townsend a lot. Again, very generous. Lee Dixon, brilliant to work with. Great tourist. Glenn Hoddle, again, uh, great tourist. Uh, I worked with, um, for a long time, uh, now Stuart Pierce who, you know, I must admit when Stuart and I first got together, I mean, he, I, he never, I don't think really wanted to be doing it. He was doing it, but he didn't, I think he still had har harbored hopes of doing management stuff here and there. Well, over time we sort of built a trust. I think you have to do that. We built a trust and we've built a brilliant relationship now. I think we've been working together for God, four years, three or four years now on and off because he went back in West Ham for a little while. Um, but yeah, I mean, the relationship between the two of us now, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have him as a friend. He's excellent. He teaches me about football and I like that. In terms of him teaching you about football and, and, and the way he is on the air with you, what's it like working with those people for the first time? Because when you come through and you get into the commentary circles, deep down you're a football fan, the same as the rest of us. At first, when you meet these people, is it a bit of, wow, that's Stuart Pearce? Um... I think I've been working in the industry long enough now that that doesn't happen and I don't get starstruck by those people. I think when I was younger, maybe that would have been the case and I completely understand it. I, although I did have a moment last week when uh, Stuart and Perry, we were doing a program and we were looking back at our first ever games of football that we went to and they were talking about, Stuart was talking about a game between Liverpool and um, Queen's Park Rangers. He was a Queen's Park Rangers fan as a kid um, at Loftus Road in 1972 or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and um, he, him and Perry were talking. Oh, yeah, isn't it weird? Because because that day Stuart was watching Queens Park Rangers, and one of the players there ended up being in the same team as him when he broke through. 
at Coventry City or wherever it was. I can't remember. Um, and he said, I had to pinch myself every day going into the dressing room, knowing that one of the guys I used to watch on the terraces, I was in the same dressing room as him. And Perry was like, yeah, that happened to me. Some of the players that I was watching on TV and he's in my coach at Colchester or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I used to watch both of you two when I was growing up. And now I'm spending my Saturday afternoons with you every single week. And I've been working with Stuart and Perry probably for the best part of four years. So, so you do, you have those moments. You just think, oh yeah, you're, you're probably right, actually. And it, you do, it, it's weird. You grow up, you look at these people and all of a sudden you're, they're your colleagues and yeah, they're like everybody else, just human beings like we all are. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're great to be around. And you know, to get their knowledge and to tap into their knowledge is really, really important because ultimately people want to know what they think about what's happened. Well, that's the thing. You've summed it up perfectly for me in terms of CFB. I remember when I started being thinking that having guests on, you'd go, wow, I've watched you play. I've listened to you on TV. But eventually over time, as you get used to it, you're spot on in the sense that people are just human beings and you'll be amazed at how many normal conversations you, you have with people off air as well. That's what I found with this. Yeah, of course. Um, Stuart and I were talking the other day about because he's learning to play the drums. So, um, and my son got a, um, a ridiculously loud, annoying toddler drum kit for uh, he's only three uh, for Christmas, and he was sitting there on the floor the other day, and he was bashing away like animal from the Muppets on the, on this um, like toddler um, drum kit. So I, was, and I took a video of it and sent it to Stuart and said is he better than you? <laughs> and Stuart's like, he is actually, <laughs> you know, and we, we, like you say, you know, you develop friendships with people and relationships with people and it's great. And that's one of the great things about our industry, really. You know, I think a lot of people from the outside looking in think that we all hate each other, like the BBC and the, and talk sport or, or ITV and the BBC. There's a big sort of uh, rivalry between the two. Well, the, you know, Sky or BT or whatever, and the truth is, is, is that we're all mates, <laughs> and we we very often find ourselves at the same dinners or going out for dinner when we're travelling, especially the commentary teams, because commentators are lonely people. They travel on their own a lot to all four corners of the earth, and you know. <laughs> sometimes the only people that you meet are people who work for a different organization. So, you know, you may well end up having, we've been on, when we were ITV, we're doing the European games. We used to go out with all the guys from BT all the time. That's what we used to do. In terms of that, when commentators get together, what is it just normal conversation? Do you ever talk about commentary? <laughs> well, what, that the implication is there is that we're so sad and geeky that we'll have nothing else to talk about than appearance charts and, and uh, contract charts. I doubt we even talk. We talk about football, obviously, because yeah. that's pretty much what we do. But I don't think we talk about any, any of our, our technical stuff. No, I mean, we might get me and Darky sometimes. Ian Dark get into uh, a discussion about um, um, Portsmouth, or we'll get into a discussion about the technicalities of commentaries and how you, you know, and how it's changed. Because he was very helpful for me when I was growing up. You know, he's a Portsmouth fan, Ian Dark, and he he would uh, he would ask me to sort of um, I would ask him sorry for feedback, and he would help me. So. Um, you know, we, we still sort of have those conversations every now and again, but like, you know, we all talk about different things. 
in terms of that situation as well, um, one of the things that interests me about commentators, and I've asked quite a few, I'm interested to get your perspective. Do you listen to other commentaries from people and do you do you analyse them? Not analyse them like a Monday night football with a board in your house, but do you try and listen and think about other people's styles and, and consider your style or are you just solely focused on you've got your own style and that's it? Well, I think if you, if you sat here and, and if I sat here and said that I don't listen to anybody else and I just do it my way and that's it, that would be one, the worst answer I could give. Two, it, it, would, it would be a lie. Uh, and three, it would be incredibly arrogant to believe that you were good enough that you couldn't learn anything from anybody else. The fact is, is that from the age of 14, I've been trying to do this job and I think I have learned something from every match. I've never come off air thinking that I've done a great job. I've always come off air and I've probably done 2000 matches now. Um, come off air thinking that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. Um, I think that you have to analyze your own performance in terms of I listen back to pretty much every commentary that I do to pick holes in it, to find out where I can get better. I listen to other commentators and think, what can I learn off them? I listen to a lot of other sports commentators as well to see if there's anything I can pick up from other sports. I think there's some great commentators. I mean, John Hunt in racing, I think is fantastic, fantastic commentator. Um, Ian Carter, brilliant golf commentator. Um, I think that um, some of the golf commentators are really very good descriptively on the radio. I love, you know, I, I, I love all the all the guys who I would consider as as, as colleagues and friends. Martin, Clive, uh, Motti, who's been helped very helpful to me. Um, all those guys. I think you can learn from all of them. You know, there's no way you know everything. I don't know everything. And I don't, I don't know sometimes if I'm doing it right or wrong. Clive is brilliant with me when I was younger, probably younger. I wasn't that much younger, probably 10 years, eight years ago, something like that. I asked it. He said to me, I, I asked him to give me some feedback and he did. And he said, you don't do this, 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 and you don't do that. And you need to do more of this. And you need to think about that. You need to be more intelligent about this, 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 and this. And it was straight to the point. It was long, it was detailed, and it was the best email I've ever received ever because it taught me to look at it slightly differently. It just opened my eyes. I'd never, I, I'd gone from doing radio commentary where I, I'd taught myself to do it and I'd listened to a lot of people and tried to pick up bits and pieces. And then I went into television and nobody told me what the differences were or what to, to do. I had to learn that for myself. And after two years of doing it, I needed Clive to tell me how to get better at it. And he did. In terms of that, what would you say the main differences are between radio and TV? It is completely different. It is completely different. It is not the same job. It's a different job. So on TV, you're talking about, you're talking about providing context to what you can already see. I don't need to tell you that, um, I don't need to tell you that this has happened. You've seen it. I need to tell you why it's happened or who made it happen. 
uh, and I need to annotate those pictures rather than describing what's happening. I need to tell you that the, the, the grass is gr a lush green or that a team are shooting from one direction to the other. I need to provide context around things that happen uh, and I need to label it. I need to label it so you know who scored and what that means and how important that goal is. I need to add some colour and some fun and some information to, to what you're watching. Whereas on on the radio, it is all about painting the picture and giving you a flavour of what's happening in the game. I can't do everything. I can't provide you with every touch because it's impossible. It moves too fast. But I can try and give you a flavour of how the game is going and, and use my voice to try and bring that across. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it horridly wrong. And, you know, when you get it horridly wrong, boy, do you know about it. And you know about it personally before anything else. And, it, you know, it is horrible because you know that you've messed up. Um, but, um, yeah, you just got, I just, you know, you do your best, you work hard, you, you read it, you watch it and you try and get it as right as possible. I think trying to be as accurate as possible is the, is, is the key thing, but it is, you, you're right. Is there is a massive wealth of difference. You have to be a lot more considered on television. In terms of commentating now, you've been commentating for years, as you've said, what's it been like in the social media age? Because years ago you... <laughs> You, you drove home in the car and you maybe thought, ah, shit, that wasn't the best game. Whereas now, as I'm sure you're aware, you can go onto Twitter and just see tweet after tweet after tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, commentators get battered. doesn't matter who it is. Everyone gets battered. Every single person. <laughs> it's, it's quite, you know, it just happens. That's what it is, isn't it? That's what they do. That, that's, that, that's, what, that's what Twitter is. It's just a vehicle, a vehicle to to pick on people, really, isn't it? I suppose, and I, I I don't think it was always meant. To, I don't think it was supposed to be like that, but that's what it turned into. I think, really. I mean, there's it's a force for good as well. I mean, it, there's there's some good things about Twitter, but yeah, yeah, you, you do get battered, you do, and you either have to choose to care about that or not. I think I did really care about it initially, and then. I realised that it's not that important. Well, I think we all realised, no, but I think initially people, even companies sort of thought, oh, this person's getting battered on Twitter. That can't be a good thing. But, you know, it happens to everyone. There's not one person who escapes it. No one escapes it. The best broadcasters in this country get hammered on Twitter. And that should teach you something. that You can't please everybody. You can't, it's impossible to please everybody. You have to try and drill it down and just think that I'm doing my best that I can do. And I'm, you know, I'm trying, I'm working really hard. I'm trying to do the best I can do. I've been hired by people who probably know what is right and what is wrong. And they seem to think it's okay. And whilst they think it's okay, they're the people that you really got to satisfy. I mean, you've got to satisfy the audience. You've got to please the audience. But the majority of the audience don't tweet. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's... That's why you got to remember, you know, only a fifth of people in the country have got Twitter for a start, for a start. Uh, so that's the first thing you have to remember. And then you think about how many of those people are interested in football. So look, social media is where we're at. I use it a lot. I um, do. I, I think connecting with the audience is really important. Um, and you are and you have to accept you are if you put yourself out there, you are going to get shot. Absolutely. I would, I would echo that, especially um, in the last five months for myself. As you say, for every eight people who think you're doing a decent job, there's always at least two who say you're absolutely rubbish and you shouldn't be doing it. 
and those two will tweet and the other eight won't. <laughs> and that's never, the thing. But when someone, most people send you great tweets as well, remember? Yeah, so people will send you something that says, oh, you're brilliant, you're fantastic. And the key thing is not to get carried away with that because, you know, no one's that good and no one's that bad. You know, we, you, know you didn't get to do what you do or, you, you know, the very fact that you're doing a podcast means that you yourself are talented enough to be able to have made that happen. So, you know, you're not that bad. And you're not that good, and I'm not that bad, and I'm not that good. So you know, somewhere down the middle from all the tweets that you get is probably the best way to sort of take in it. You know, don't get overexcited about it when someone says you're brilliant, and don't get don't get too down when someone says you're you're useless and uses every name under the sun to illustrate that. <laughs> <laughs> Another technical question yeah. about commentary, and one that I'm I'm happy that I don't think is going to apply to you in the Premier League returns. Off tube commentary, what's that like compared to being at a oh, ground? It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. I hate it, but we do more and more of it now. Not on the radio. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. Um, a lot of people think that talk sport is, is all done like that. It's not. I think I do 100 games for talk sport in a year, and 93 of them are on site in a ground. You know, so, you know, it's very small percentage of the games that we would do off tube for TalkSport. And that is not going to happen when we go back. As far as at the, at the moment, obviously, in this situation, it's slightly different because it's completely understandable to have to do it in that way at the yeah. moment. And probably for the next year or so, with certain games, that may well be the case. But as far... And look, I don't blame companies for 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 increasing the amount of off tube commentaries, because the football authorities, UEFA, FIFA, um, in particular, in particular UEFA for Champions League games, um, and for um, and even some of the the Premier League clubs will charge institutions a huge amount of money, which is not that doesn't correspond with what those organizations can afford to pay in order to be in the stadium. So for, you know, it, the rights are so expensive, so expensive that it does not make any commercial sense for a commentary team to be flown to a ground when they can do it off a television and ultimately it can be passable. It's never going to be as good off tube as it is in the stadium because you can only see what somebody else wants you to see. And that is a challenge because as a commentator, you need to be ahead of what's happening, not, not behind it. And there is a major difference. When you're commentating in a stadium, you, are, you can see the play developing and you can almost predict what's going to happen next. You, not, you can't predict it, but you're a, you're a half a step ahead. Whereas when you're off tube, you're half a step behind. And that's a major difference. It's a major difference. It's, it's much more difficult. And I'm sure you, you heard the story that the first BT game in the Bundesliga back, Paul Dempsey was commentating and Tesco came to his door with his shopping delivery. Yeah, yeah, that feature on our, comment, uh, our, our podcast, actually on the Game Day podcast, uh, Ian Dark came on to talk to us about um, his role because he was doing Hertha Berlin that day and he told us about uh, Dempo. <laughs> his Tesco delivery man. Yeah, it comes with pitfalls, doesn't it? Yeah. But listen, I think they've done a brilliant job, by the way. They've done a fantastic, fantastic job to get that working from there, the way they've done it. I think it's been brilliant. And I've loved, 
I must have, I've been a bit of a Bundesliga convert. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you now and you can see I've got my Fußball um, German flag jumper on. And the reason for that is because I've fallen in love with it. You know, I've fallen in love with Hertha Berlin. Uh, and it's not just made up for the radio. I've actually really enjoyed becoming a... I've enjoyed becoming a supporter of a team that no one can give me stick for. Like, you know, no one really cares. So they don't, you know, no one gives me stick for that. So it's nice to become, to, to have an interest and be able to vocalize that without everybody having a go at you about it. So, no, I, I, I think they've done a brilliant job. That technically they've done a fantastic job to get that working. You know, the stuff that, and I think everybody has, you know, doing stuff from home. So many organizations have, have, have been innovative in this pandemic. And you know, some of the shows on Talk Sport, Adrian Durham's drive time show is fantastic. You know, he relies so much usually on incidents that happen in matches, opinions on football, and he has produced a three-hour show every day, completely, sometimes completely on topics that have nothing to do with football, and it's been brilliantly entertaining. So now you've seen a lot of talent from the broadcasters and innovation as well from the broadcasters. Well, I've got a friend, a lot of my friends in the sport department at ITV are working on the racing. So much of that stuff is done at home. You know, my friend Vicky, she works in a living room. She's got a whole setup. She's the, the PA and she's got like major screens and stopwatches and faders and everything. And she's producing live television from her house. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Absolutely. And it's, it, it's mind blowing when you think about the fact it's a living room, as you've just said, and someone is, yeah. is producing that. And, one of the other things I want to touch on with you, you mentioned there about um, getting stick about supporting teams, etc. How difficult is it to commentate on a match that your team are playing in? Or is it difficult? Not, no, not at all. I think people think that you... It's so hard to sort of describe it, but when, you, when you've got a job to do, you go and do a job. You're a professional and you have to do a job. And, I, and I've always maintained that I care more about the job than I care about anything else. Like I love my job that much that it is really important to me. And commentating on a club that I have an affinity for goes out the window. I do the job first. At the end of the game, I might be really happy that something's happened. I was on air um, in 2007 on Sky Sports News the night that Jose Mourinho was sacked as the Chelsea boss and it was a surprise and it happened overnight and we stayed on until four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. I remember. Uh, and I was presenting that night and um, I didn't think about the implications of that from a Chelsea supporters point of view until I walked offset and started to get in my car because, because I had to, I had to think on my feet. I had a job to do. I had to think, you know, I had to think very quickly about what we were doing and how we were going to, continue the story rolling through the night you know it was i was and i had a brilliant producer uh, at that time um and we had great a great team behind it who were providing us with information but you know you, i didn't think i'm the point was is that you have to disassociate yourself from your loyalties and actually become the the, the professional that you are i'm sure that there are a lot of people who are in political journalism right now who have affiliations or have had affiliations to political parties in the past but when it comes to doing their job they have to disassociate themselves from those political affiliations and remain unbiased and neutral no matter who they're speaking to so I think the same sort of applies only a little less seriously with football clubs 
Does I that... love, I love Portsmouth. I love Portsmouth. I love my, I'm a Chelsea supporter. I love Hertha Berlin, but um, newly love Hertha Berlin. I love England, but at the same time, when all of those teams are playing, I have to give, it's my job to give you an accurate depiction of what is happening. That's interesting. I was literally about to ask you about England and say that when you're broadcasting on ITV to the English nation, can your commentary style change even if slightly because you know yeah. the majority of the audience are with you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it does slightly. And I think you do have to take into consideration the people you broadcast. Well, you have to take into consideration the people you're broadcasting to. So I have only done for ITV one live England game up until now, I think. One live, two highlights, I think. Um, at the World Cup last year, I did the, the playoff, the third, fourth playoff. Um, and I, oh, two years ago, I think it is now. God, time goes fast. Um, yeah, and you do. You have a, a bent towards those um, that that team. You have a you have a you have a. It's a slightly more. In, you're slightly more interested. There's more of an a, a sort of. I, I wouldn't say. I never say we. I never say uh, us. I'd always say England, them, they. Um, and I think that's important to be slightly detached from it because I don't think you want to be in a situation where you couldn't criticise them, which is another key thing to, in order to keep your distance from from it. Um, but you are, you want them to win. You do, I mean, you want them to win anyway, but you want them to win for the value of the tournament. It's, I feel like that in the Champions League, though, with English clubs against uh, foreign clubs. It doesn't matter who they're playing. I want them to go through. Um, because I think that the more English clubs succeed in Europe, the better it is for the English game. So, but, so I sort of have that viewpoint anyway. But I do think, yeah, you do. You do adapt slightly. There's a little bit. But you've always still got to be accurate. You can't, you can't just be a cheerleader. Talking about adapting um, slightly for England, how did you adapt for Dancing in Ice? Because that's a completely different medium. <laughs> Crikey. And it was, it was an emergency situation. They needed someone very, very quickly. I think they looked at the bottom of the barrel and tried to scrape me off it, I think. And then they said to me, right, okay. I went, I don't know anything. Isn't, this is not a good idea. But, you know, it, they were, they asked me, they were very, very persistent. <laughs> and, and, and look, ultimately, it's the, one of the best things I've ever done. One of the best things I've ever done. Two reasons. I've met so many brilliant people that I would never have met. Um, and I have learnt about a completely different sport, stroke, discipline, stroke, entertainment, whatever it is that you want to categorise it as. But it's made, me, it's made me admire figure skating. I'm actually interested in it because technically it is an unbelievably difficult sport to do you know people always go and, I, and this is another thing i've become very tribal about it <laughs> people always go oh yeah but it's not like strictly well no it's not like strictly it's much harder than strictly um you know it's all right dancing but imagine dancing with a pair of uh 3.3 millimeter blades on i mean come on on ice you know 
I mean, it's hard enough getting around it. And if you've ever done it, and I have, I've done, have had lessons as a result of this, you'll know it's very, very difficult. It's not easy. So look, kudos to those who attempt it for a start. The contestants have been brilliant. I've become a part of it. I, f- I feel like I've become a part of it in terms of they've welcomed me in now. Um, you know, they've all been brilliant with me. They help me, the producers and the, the team behind it, uh, you know, help me no end. The contestants help me. The professional dancers who I have fallen in love with, they're my friends. I, uh, uh, they've helped me. And, and the judges and the staff around it, you know, I've had some great, I've had some great nights out with John Barrowman as a result of it. <laughs> and I never thought I'd ever be saying that. So look, it was it was it was an odd experience. They asked some, asked me in an emergency. I said yes eventually, and I've, I'm so pleased that I did it. Will there be a situation at one point where we see a substitution? Matter face off, Clive Chelsley on, matter face on the ice. No. <laughs> oh, you might see. No, listen, I'm not saying you won't. They won't get dumped me out of the commentary box. It's every chance they dump me out of the commentary box. As soon as they can find someone better, then they should. Um, but um, they, I, I won't do the ice thing. No, I, I, I would never, never say never, but I would never, that's not, my gig is to commentate on the ice skating. Um, I like that role. Once you go on the ice, that's it. It's over. You do it for one season and, that, and then you're off. Whereas, it, you know, I'm in a privileged position where I get to go back every year and meet a new batch of, of people. I'm far too old and my knees are far too knackered for me to, to, to even think about it. You, we mentioned earlier on the fact you present as well as commentate. What are the difference between yeah. those two mediums as well? Um, There's a big difference, I think. Um, two different skills again. Look, broadcasting is one big skill. You know, you can either broadcast or you can't broadcast. Some people can can do it. Some people can't do it. Some people do it well. Some people do it badly. Some people might think I do it badly. Um, and some people might think that I do it well occasionally. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's all broadcasting. I think with the presenting, I find it, I find it quite an, a natural thing to do. I don't find it a difficult thing to do. I've always found it quite an easy if I've, as long as I'm prepared and I know what I'm presenting and talking about, I find it quite an easy thing to do. Um, I prefer the commentary because I, I am involved in the game more. But I still do it. I still do the presenting and I would do, always still do it because I love that too. I, I, I always maintained, even when I, went, I left TV presenting to go to talk sport because I wanted to be a commentator, that I would always keep the door open to do more presenting. And I have, I've done lots and still do lots of presenting for different people, different things at different times, because the more you can, look, it's just the more you can do the better, the better broadcast you are if you're just doing more. So you're learning all the time, you're picking stuff up off other people. So I just try and do as much as possible. It's fun as well, isn't it? I mean, look, you can't complain about it. You're talking about football or, you know, you're never going to moan about that, are you? You just want to do it as much as possible. Oh, I've lost you. I've lost you. I can't hear you. Last question I've got for you. Um, quite a broad question. Um, what advice would you give to any budding broadcaster or commentator looking to make their way in the industry? I don't know. 
is the answer to that question because, and I'll tell you why my advice has always been to people is to get as much experience as you can go to as many football matches as you can um, get involved in different aspects of broadcasting and journalism from the very beginning. Don't just pigeonhole yourself into one, try and find what is right for you after trying everything. But I know that the opportunities to do that now are so much more limited um, because of the lack of regional newspapers and the impossible situation that those people find themselves in the owners of those newspapers because they play such a vital role yet they they just their circulation has gone down so significantly um also local radio stations have just been obliterated you know i mean there's some Obviously, there's lots of BBC local radio stations, but I mean, there was at one stage a huge, huge number, and that's probably half the problem, a huge number of local radio stations. You know, I I worked at a hospital radio station. I then worked at several local radio stations. A local radio station gave me the opportunity to have a full-time job for the first time before I did national stuff. Uh, and and that graduation from hospital, local, national was sort of how it, how it happened for everybody back then. But it doesn't happen that way now. So, so, so what would I say to people who are doing it now? Make a podcast. Get it wrong. Mess it up. Try again. Mess that up, but not as much. And then try again. And then keep doing it i mean i didn't get paid i didn't get a job in radio for 10 years from when i started so i started and then it took 10 years for me to get a job and i think i'm clawing on by my fingernails every every year hoping that i still got one the year after ever since so um look it's not an easy industry to get into it's not you know you have to be super dedicated um i gave up everything to 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 work in radio everything um you know i didn't come from a rich family so people could like bankroll me to go and work for free i had to i had to work in stock rooms wallpaper factories mcdonald's um in order to fund my habit which was radio and then eventually i got the opportunity to do it so it's just about experience and not giving up and you know if you've got the talent and you've and you keep going you will get there but you've 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 got to be patient it takes a long time and it should take a long time because it's a you know to get to the top level it 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 should take you a while to get there because you you've got to earn that you know i think sometimes we we take people from social media and just go yeah you can you can do this and then those people can't handle being presenters or whatever and they fade very very quickly and that's not that's not fair on them and it's not fair on the audience so i think you know, making sure that people have got all of the skills and the disciplines are really important. And, and you know, you doing this podcast, you know, it, it, it helps you become a better broadcaster every time you do it. And, it, you know, even me talking to you will help me because the more you can do, the more experience you get, surely the better you become. Thank you very much, Sam, for that advice. And also thank you for coming on Football CFB today. It's been my pleasure.
No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song